Today's episode of Three Clips is sponsored by Casted, who is the presenting sponsor of all of marketing showrunners. Casted is the world's first B2B podcasting platform. So they're out to build an all-in-one suite of tools to help B2B marketers who podcast. It's a place where you can host your audio, schedule episodes, distribute everywhere, measure the show, and mine it for reusable content like little clips that you can embed on the landing page, which, oh, by the way, Casted also creates for you. So if you want to explore this whole suite of tools that they're building for B2B marketers, visit casted.us and tell them we sent you because that definitely supports this show. Whose show is this? It's a question every marketer should ask about their own work. Perhaps better said... How can we tell this is your show? I mean, we want to create something that works. So we back up a step and we try to make something great. Right. But great isn't actually something that we get to decide. We can't really control that because great is a word that's assigned to us by those who consume the work. So in our world, if you really think about it, there's no such thing as great. There's only better. So we may as well ditch the notion of doing a great show and focus on doing a better show than we did before all the time, every time we show up. So what does doing all that get you? It gets you a show that steadily improves. It gets you a show that constantly exceeds their expectations the more they come back. It gets you a show that answers the question, whose show is this? Because it becomes progressively more your show, not yet another, the only. Today, a show that's incredibly high quality that their listeners might indeed call great, but whose show is it? Perhaps better said, how can we tell it's their show? All that, plus something we experience every single day that we forget was actually designed by humans. This is Three Clips. Welcome to Three Clips, where we make sense of great podcasts a few little pieces at a time. It's a show about shows from marketing showrunners. MSR serves marketers who want to find their voice and share it with the world to make a difference and shift the culture of their industries or their companies or both for the better. We want to help you make your audience's favorite show so you can be their favorite brand. I'm Jay Akunzo, founder of MSR, and joining me today is the site's managing editor, Molly Donovan. Hi, I'm Molly Donovan, managing editor of Marketing Showrunners. As a reminder, you can stay up to date on what we're up to by joining folks from Red Bull, Adobe, Salesforce, MailChimp, the BBC, and more by subscribing to our newsletter, MSR Monthly. Head to our website, marketingshowrunners.com, or click the link in our show notes. Today, we deconstruct the podcast Wireframe, which is technically Adobe's podcast, though it's produced and they actually give credit to Gimlet Creative. Gimlet Creative is the in-house brand studio of Gimlet Media, which is a network of narrative style podcasts. And since 2018, Gimlet has actually been owned by Spotify. So let's just move now to the facts of the show so we can all get on the same page. Wireframe shares stories behind people and trends in user experience design, and it's intended for UX and UI designers, graphic designers, and as they say in their own description, the design curious. Not sure how I feel about that, but sure. It's hosted by Koi Vin, who's a director of product design at Adobe, and they publish seasons instead of an ongoing weekly show. For example, they're seasonal. The second season debuted in the fall of 2019, and they've published a grand total of 17 episodes since the fall of 2018 across their two seasons. 
The episodes clock in at somewhere between 20 and 29 minutes. It feels like they're trying to keep it under 30. Love that. And they feature narrative style episodes, like I mentioned Gimlet Media specializes in. And those are when you weave together multiple voices, at least one interview, if not more, with voiceover and music and sound design which is a very appropriate last thing to say because sound design is what the episode we're going to deconstruct today is all about. They've also explored things on Wireframe like the unexpected rise of emoji as universal parts of design, augmented reality and how it might make screens obsolete someday, a roundtable of voices talking about privacy, trust, and good design, and one of my favorites, design and user loyalty slash addiction, and a lot more. And those are the facts of the show. Jay, do you know what I like about you? That uh, I now offer two dad jokes per minute since becoming a real dad. Hey, hey, what do you get when you cross a canary and a lawnmower? (laughs) Believe it or not, that was not what I was going to say. But now I have to know, what do you get when you cross a canary and a lawnmower? Shredded tweet. <laughs> no. 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 Okay. No. All right. No. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, your taste and jokes aside, you <laughs> typically just get it, and I like that about you. And the thing is, as showrunners, we need so many people to just get our shows. We need our bosses, our peers, our listeners, our partners to get it. You know, people who would fund the show and people who would build the show. And of course, we want our listeners to share our show to their friends. So those friends end up just getting it too. But the fact is, describing a show can be pretty tricky. So let's head to Hollywood and hit the corner office in the sky as we explain today's featured show in a classic studio pitch. Jason, I know your studio pitch today takes some deeper explaining. I'm going to go first. Here's how I would pitch Wireframe. It's like how I built this meets design better. So how I built this is a narrative style NPR show that dives into how various entrepreneurs, innovators, and idealists built certain movements, companies, or trends. And Design Better is an interview style podcast from InVision, and it chats with some of the most respected visionaries of modern design about their goals at various companies and how they've achieved success. Wireframe blends the design sensibility and focus of Design Better with some of the narrative pacing and storytelling of how I built this. The show is all about design, yes, but it's not just a series of conversations with leading designers. There's definitely some of that. The show does interview leading designers, but there's always an overarching angle and a narrative approach that reminds me a bit of what host guy Raz does on how I built this. I like it. Mine will be a little bit longer because I think it's it's maybe a little bit weird. You kind of have to look under the hood at why I'm pitching it this way, but here goes. So I'm going to keep my comparison simple because the explanation may not be. So the simple pitch is Wireframe from Adobe is like the podcast Work Life meets Design. So straight up just meets the design industry. So Work Life, and this is where we have to go deep to understand a couple things, but I think these there are two things here that I think we can all take back with us to our work. So Work Life for Context is a show from TED in collaboration with the researcher and author Adam Grant. And they talk about the psychology of the working world because that's what Adam studies. He's a workplace psychologist, organizational psychologist. And each episode takes one specific topic like bouncing back from rejection or networking for people who hate networking. And Wireframe does something very similar. You mentioned that too, Molly, where they take one theme and they go deep on it. It's not just like general advice or general success every episode. They really do have an angle every single time out and they approach that in a very nuanced way. And I think that way can be summed up both for work life and for Wireframe as what they're really doing is creating a travel show. Now, bear with me because they don't 
go to different geographies. They might to get the tape. I don't know. But I don't mean that they are creating a physical travel show. But in a travel show, there are two stereotypical guest categories, a local and a guide. So a local embodies the themes of the episode or the show as they live it. So in a trip to Mexico, Anthony Bourdain on CNN would talk to his cab driver or a local family over dinner. Those are the locals. In an episode of Work Life, Adam Grant might talk to an introvert who hates networking and also maybe recently went to an event. They're the local. And likewise, Wireframe talks to actual designers who are locals. They live out the theme. They offer perspective. And the key here is that these locals provide perspective on what we're exploring. But the guides share why that's the case, why it's happening. So they can help us analyze things from a different perspective. There are people like researchers, authors, and other types of thinkers who, yes, might actually live locally or might practice the craft being explored on a business show, but they have the ability to zoom out and figure out why this is happening. So we observe locals in kind of their natural state, but then we go and stand next to a guide who points stuff out on the screen or on the board so we understand why it's happening. And I think great stories give you the what and the why. They give you the local and the guide. So both work life and wireframe offer us that well-rounded perspective on a single subject, aka the location, and they do so by presenting both of those types of guests. And while yes, it just brings a great entertainment value and enjoyability to the final edit, more so each of those types of guests serve the story, and in doing so, they serve the audience better. All right, let's go to the next section. Studies suggest that we form first impressions in one-tenth of a second, which kind of makes you wonder what we're doing or not doing when someone first hits play on our shows. So let's get a sample of today's featured podcast, both so we can understand it and form some first impressions in a section we call Snap Judgments. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a few seconds of the first moments of the episode we're profiling later with our clips. This is not the clip section. We just want to see how we feel instantly since listeners will be forming these types of first impressions or snap judgments about our shows. So let's get started. We're going to play an episode from Wireframe, which is called Sounds Like Good Design. And and Molly, when you feel like you have something, just tell me to stop. I'll stop it and we can jump in and I'll do a couple and you'll do a couple and then we'll move on. All right. Hey, before we get started, we've got a favor to ask. Can you fill out a quick survey at wireframe.show? We want to find out who's listening to this podcast and what you liked. That's wireframe.show. Stop. Okay, what do you got? <laughs> it's bold to ask for uh, people to fill in a survey before they've listened to anything, but I don't hate it. Mm, bold move. Well, I also think like, I was about to say stop. I love that you did. The underused way to measure the success of really anything in marketing, but certainly a show, because you can't just drop a nice, neat tracking pixel and have some program generate a, a, a chart for you. You also can't rely on the third-party apps to give you all the data you want as a marketer. You have to own your audience and stop relying on Apple and Spotify at all because they don't care. And they also play more to media who cares about advertisers than marketers who care about selling products and services. So you got to take away the ability to pixel and the ability to rely on the third parties. And one of the things you're left with is something we don't do often enough, which is to actually survey the audience, right? Right. And I think that I'm I'm torn about where to put that in the show because I like that they're asking people to give their honest feedback and they're asking for it directly. So props to Adobe for doing that. But I am wondering if putting it up, you know, the, the very first thing you hear, if that's going to cause people to bounce more than a, a more engaging cold open. 
So I'm sure um, because especially they're working with Gimlet Creative and they're all very smart over there, I'm sure someone look at the drop-off data that's available in Apple and very few other places, but maybe they get a sense of that. But I think even more than what the data is saying, just using common sense is important here because if you are doing a narrative style podcast, which is what Adobe is doing, you really have to set up the ads with some intrigue that you're promising to pay off after the ad. Because otherwise, it's not like an interview where you're like, okay, let's take a break. You're interrupting a flow that you don't want to snap people out of. So an interview style show, maybe it's a little bit easier or a show like this one even because it's modular. We have these sections. But a narrative style like Wireframe, you just want people to stay immersed in the flow of consuming a great narrative. And so if you do it later, that might be trickier. So I think it's kind of a trade-off, right? It's like, yeah, some people might be annoyed, but I think the alternative is they just skip it, not bail. But the upside is maybe you don't interrupt the flow of the narrative. That's that's my quick take. Yeah, that makes sense too, because you're right. I don't think that anyone would want to interrupt a story that they're being told, which is what happens in this episode. Right, right. And and you'll you'll hear later, like they will talk about the fact that they actually do have ads. We'll talk about who they're for and why later. But it's I think it's a very important lesson there. But the lesson here is surveys. <laughs> Let's try it, people. You can learn a lot, learn more, firsthand research, firsthand data about the audience, pre and post questions, all sorts of good stuff. Tagging people who listen versus people who don't in your CRM and seeing the activity of listeners versus those who don't listen. And hopefully the listeners are more valuable over time. Like all this good stuff happens when you are willing to survey the audience, which Adobe is. So I love that. Cool. All right. So we left off at the five second mark. Let's let's see if we can get like one or two more good lessons in the very early or at least snap judgments anyway, in the very early moments. Let's let's play from second five here. Dot show. We want to find out who's listening to this podcast and what you liked. That's wireframe.show. If you work in an open office, you probably recognize this sound. The chit chat of colleagues someone's phone going off constant computer okay, stop so we made it to 25 seconds the the reason i want to stop that is they're doing what so precious few marketing built shows do which is a cold open and they drop you into something good in the first let's say non-advertising or non-cta type content what they do is build intrigue here right it's like they're aligning with us immediately out of the gate. And if, if listeners to the show go back to the episode we did early where I broke down an episode of Radiolab, I look at the hosts and their ability to essentially keep us engaged the whole time. And what we found was they're taking lots and lots of little moments, especially early in the episode on Radiolab, but certainly Adobe, they do it here too, where what they're trying to do is get you nodding and get you intrigued. So like if you work in an office, you've probably heard these sounds. Then they play this clutter. And so part of you is emotionally invested because you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And part of you just feels like, okay, you're speaking my language. You're speaking to me. So I do feel like there's a little bit of missed, maybe not little, there's a big opportunity that's missed when we open by saying, welcome back to this show. This is what we do. Here's the bio of the guest. It just meanders, right? So dropping you into something relatable, something intriguing, a cold open gets you to essentially the next moment as a listener. And that's what we're doing as hosts. We're purchasing moments of attention all the time. Absolutely. In, in just 10 or 15 seconds, I already have a number of emotions that they were able to evoke just by playing that 
background ambient noise. I felt like I was back in an open office where I used to work and I hated that noise, that noisy environment. I don't know what the episode's going to be about, but I'm already intrigued, as you say. It could be kind of about anything. It could be about how workers gain attention. How does design help with that? There's a whole host of possible angles for this episode and color me interested already. Well, I think, you know, the other thing here is part of the way you can get somebody interested is the production value. And I think when we believe we can't do a narrative style show, we're thinking about the whole episode. We're like, well, I have to do interviews because I have the time it takes to prepare for interviews. Now, put aside this giant issue, which is you're undervaluing the power of a really good interview and how hard it is to prepare and be good at, at, at interviews. But at the same time, if that is your case, which is so many marketers can't do a narrative style show, I totally get it. What about just the intro? Like setting up the most delicious possible moment to be your first does wonders for people's attention and loyalty and passion for the show. So a challenge to people would be just try it. Try doing three to five episodes in a row where you make an amazing intro, which sure has more narration, starts you in an intriguing moment, maybe has a little sound design and music if you can get there. A couple resources, freesound.org, lots of free sounds great name for things, freesound.org. And also the YouTube audio library has a surprising array of pretty high quality music. And you can even toggle whether or not you need to attribute who the music is from. But even if you have to attribute the artist, because that's the setting, and again, you can toggle it off, it's free. It's all free. So I think with just a little bit of extra effort, we can set ourselves up for success from moment one for these snap judgments. Okay, let's just proceed a little bit. Let's do one more stop and see if we can pull out another snap judgment before we proceed to our clips. All right, we're picking it up from where we left off. Here it is. The chit-chat of colleagues, someone's phone going off, constant computer notifications. Some of these sounds you'll hear a lot. Like, a lot. And for me... One of these notifications comes from a little app on my Mac called Text Expander. Text Expander is basically a nerdy little tool that automatically types things for me, things that I type often, like my email address or my phone number or even whole sentences or paragraphs. Okay, stop. So there's two things. Let's say one thing I like, one thing that is giving me pause. The thing I like is they go from the general to the specific. Like they humanize it by the host, Koi Vin, saying, this is how I experience noises and sounds. Because remember, everyone knows already this is about sound design. It's in the title of the episode. So he's bringing it to a real example and starting to go deeper. And I like that because first he got you nodding that, yes, I can relate. Now he's like, and here's what it looks like in the specific. And specifics are always really intriguing, just like sequences of events, of things that actually unfold. For some reason, our brains are like, ooh, I need to pay attention to that. So he does a really good job in bringing it down to the specific. The thing that's difficult, and Molly, you can speak firsthand to this if you, if you can, because you're experiencing it with this show, Three Clips, is Vin is clearly reading a script. And it's it's very difficult to like enunciate and also sound natural and charismatic and the right tone. And there are moments where it's almost like if if the audio were to start ticking and, and cutting out, you'd notice that and you'd be like, oh, hold on a second. What's going on? Now you're paying attention to the audio instead of the story. The same deal is uh, the same thing can be said rather about 
the way someone is reading a script or how they're presenting an idea, these little tiny things can snap you out of the flow and hurt the experience. I completely agree with that. I think that what they've done so far in the cold open is made a really authentic experience where you're able to suspend reality and your belief as a listener for a minute and think that you are immersed in this open office with all these sounds that are familiar to you. And as you said, you're nodding along. And then yes, it's, it feels all of a sudden like a, like a cold reminder that you are listening to a podcast that has been heavily produced and that is okay. I mean, we do that. Everybody does that. You know, you, you're not just going to sit down and, and record something and then just ship it off. That wouldn't be a good podcast, but it, there's also some kind of sleight of hand that needs to happen where it feels like you're reading your script, but you're not reading it. You're performing something or you're delivering something that feels more authentic than just delivering lines. Right. And look, we're nitpicking here because two things. One, it's an iterative vehicle, a show inherently. I mean, every creative endeavor should be iterative, but a vehicle like a show, you can see it. It's like the seconds as they tick by. It's the episodes, it's the seasons. You're forced to constantly get better and better and better. Back to our earlier point of maybe don't think about great, think about better. And so, for example, Koi Vin is always going to get better and better and better. Great. But I think there can be a little bit of a dichotomy between how highly produced and amazing and quality and you know the integrity of the sound design compared to the host ability. But again, he'll get better. And also, I do think that the benefits of this being a real product designer at Adobe, not a stand-in, not a general voice, far outweigh getting a host who, you know, like hi- hiring someone like me who hosts shows for a living, where maybe I have a little bit of an ability to read a script and not sound like it. I think the benefits are so far and away in Adobe's favor because your trusted guide here into the whole episode, the trusted voice is from Adobe. So, all right, we've pitched it. We've judged it. We've given the snap judgments, but we haven't yet clipped it. So after this quick break, we're going to dive into three clips from this episode of this show that could teach us marketers how to become master showrunners. So that's coming up next after a quick break. Stay with us. Just a quick break to tell you about one of our partners that helps fund this show contently. If you know anything about my work, you know that I rant all the time against all the hollow content out there. The team at Contently agrees, they get this, we geek out about it all the time, and they believe that enterprise brands in particular need a place to create better content and get better results. That doesn't mean just throwing money at the problem, it means being smarter about your content strategy. So Contently has done things like build a tech platform that makes your workflow easier and better. They provide strategy guidance and advice to their clients, ranging from Google to Dell to Marriott, and they use a proprietary technology to help you predict which content formats will work best on which channels for your specific audience. Contently also helps their clients tap into a network of creatives, people who have Pulitzers and Emmys and have written for publications like Wired and New York Mag and much more. So to support our show, check out Contently's content strategy course, which is both smart and entertaining. I mean, one of the writers dressed up as Batman. So their content strategy course, videos, editorial content, a hilarious bit of writing, and some very smart ideas, that course is available at a landing page that they're using to determine, should they continue to pay for this podcast? <laughs> so please support the show. Visit contently.com slash three clips. That's contently.com slash the number three clips. Contently.com slash three clips. And thanks for supporting our show. 
Welcome back to the show. Jay, I think you and I believe the same thing about creativity in that it's not some huge thing that you either have or you don't have. Rather, creativity is just the sum total of lots of hidden choices and little wins. So to help us all master the craft of creating great podcasts, let's deconstruct this show and try to make sense of it a few little pieces at a time. We're going to play three clips one at a time and find some hidden gems we should all carry with us back to our work. And since today is all about sound design, I've picked out what I think is the perfect little transition noise to head into and out of our clips. I just want to play it for you quick, Molly. Let me just play this and we'll talk about what it is. I want to see if you can guess what this sound is from. All right, here it is. Here's the transition noise. All right, any idea what that is? <laughs> I, I, it sounds to me or reminds me of Mario Kart, which is literally the only video game that I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> Your answer is way better than the reality. The reality is I wanted to pick, because they talk all about designs that are you know put into software and hardware products and on the episode with Adobe. And so I wanted to pick something like the earliest sound that I can remember having to do with technology is that noise because it's when like windows, like old school windows would start up. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's all, it's all coming back to me. Cuseline. <laughs> I know. I'm like a kid in like a Catholic middle school wearing like really tight pants, which is now back in style. It would have been really cool if middle school Jay was today. But there was, whole period in, yeah, there was this whole period in between where my fashion choices were poor and, and bowl cuts, I'm pretty sure, were never in vogue. So... Uh, I don't know, maybe going back to the Beatles, but God knows I didn't have their swagger. So yeah, I'm back in this nerdy little mode and I'm like instantly in this like computer lab hearing that noise. At least you didn't wear elastic waist jeans, which is what I did in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We should move on for the three people that decided to stick through this little preamble. Uh, We're going to go to the first clip, which again is from that episode and same episode that we previewed before about sound design, (laughs) appropriately enough called Sounds Like Good Design. So if you want to find it in your podcast player, find the podcast wireframe, find the episode Sounds Like Good Design. We're going to revisit the very beginning. It's going to be a few seconds in, so you're going to hear some of that office background noises that they begin with and before the host starts to talk to us, but we're going to play it forward a little further, and then we have some comments about that clip. So here we go. Clip number one from Wireframe. The chit-chat of colleagues, someone's phone going off, constant computer notifications, Some of these sounds you'll hear a lot, like a lot. And for me, one of these notifications comes from a little app on my Mac called Text Expander. Text Expander is basically a nerdy little tool that automatically types things for me, things that I type often, like my email address or my phone number or even whole sentences or paragraphs. I just type a little shortcut, like maybe ADHQ, And then it types in my work address, phone number, everything. And every time I trigger one of these, it gives me this satisfying sound. So satisfying. It's sort of like a tiny little victory that I didn't have to type. It's very cool. It's like the coolest thing. Not not dorky at all. A lot of these sounds are useful, but some might feel kind of intrusive but they were all designed by someone. They all went through creative briefs and rounds of revisions, and then they were shipped to users, just like design solutions you can see. And just like any other design, the first idea that hits the market isn't always the best idea. 
Okay, so I mentioned this briefly before, but I love that the host actually works for the company. So that's the first thing that jumps out is you're meeting somebody. This is not the first episode, but if it was for you, the listener, you're meeting somebody who actually works for Adobe. And I feel like a show is about resonance. A show is about trust. It's like this trust accelerant that you can drop into all of your marketing. Like, I don't know, one of those little color tablets that like you put into water and it all become like, oh, like, you know, when you design an Easter egg, when you color an Easter egg, right? It's like this little tight thing of like, boom, now it's a lot of trust all over the marketing funnel because I listen to that show. I trust everything else that goes on with the brand. And it's really hard to establish that. It's really hard to answer the question, whose show is this? When the trust flows from the listener to the host and the host doesn't work for you. And and this is spoken as somebody who hosts multiple shows for brands. And I have to go way out of my way to be kind of like a white label solution and get integrated way into their marketing plan and their brand, then host the show. If you hire a celebrity, they're not going to do that, right? So that was the first thing that jumped out to me is I really like that the host actually works for the company. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that it was something that it does and that he is able to do by some of the asides he makes is create this sense of community among the people who I think would be listening to this podcast. And, you know, he, he makes a number of references a couple of times uh, that are self-deprecating in a way that he probably doesn't need to call himself as nerdy and as dorky as he is. I think that it's probably not. I mean, I think it's pretty normal to be deeply satisfied by a sound that you hear that is designed to be deeply satisfying. But I think by doing that and by kind of making himself more relatable, he's creating this sense of community for designers who might say, I know I feel the exact same way. I I love when that happens or I have this tool that I use and it makes this sound that I love. So I think he does that right away. And so you're already kind of embraced in this kind of warm community feeling. Yeah. You get the story that he has, you get emotionally invested in him and the brand and, but more importantly for the purposes of the episode and the production of it, in this concept of like sound design, even if you don't care about sound design, they give you an example and they let a real human talk about a real experience that lets you see, okay, even if I don't personally care about it, somebody does, I get the importance. And in that way, it kind of raises the stakes. It it kind of like establishes that this is important if you hadn't considered it before, or it cements it as important if even if you have. And, you know, they do this in a couple ways. So one is they start broad aligning with you just like our snap judgment section right away with the office noise. Then they go specific to Koi's real world love of this app. And then they use some sound design, how appropriate at the end of that clip to raise anticipation. If you notice the music kind of swells and they play rapid fire clips of different sounds happening in the background before it cuts off. And that cut actually came from them, not from us cutting the clip. It was just a nice place for us to end too. So you can use the sound design as well to raise tension, to raise the stakes. And so what happens here is they do this this little moment of drama at the end. But if you don't do sound design for your show, you can still create those moments of drama because that's exactly what Koi does. He he talks about how remember, he's like, he doesn't even say remember, but that's what he's implicitly saying to you. He's like, all these sounds exist and they were designed by other people. They go through brief. It's like, oh, right. Someone made this. It's not just like, you know, right. They didn't necessarily download it from a database or capture some real sound when someone clicks a button. Someone designs the sounds we interact with. And how often do we stop and think about it? Huh? So there's a little bit of drama, a lot of intrigue. And is it a show about design? Yes. Is it a show about sound effects? Yes. But do they still need drama? Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, you said that they start off broad, then they zoom in. And then I think they, they zoom out again and make it broad again and applicable to people who might be interested, interested in design and might not, because as you said, you think, oh, right. This is, this sound design is something that somebody made a choice about. They designed this, they're doing this for a reason. And then that immediately made me think about all the choices that I have made in my career in marketing and for, on websites and for which buttons that you choose and the text of a button, something really tiny, but it's, it takes a lot of time to kind of figure out and decide and agonize over with your team. What should it say? What should it look like? Where should it go? And people probably don't don't know that when they interact with that button or that piece of content, just as I don't think at all about somebody having designed the really satisfying or really annoying or really pleasant noises that I hear. So it already kind of, somebody who knows nothing about sound design, it's already piqued my interest and made me feel like I can relate. Okay. So in the second clip, we're going to go to that now. Um, Again, same episode. It's about sound design. This clip is a quick little introduction of a guy that they talked to throughout the episode by the name of Connor Moore. You're going to hear about what Connor does and why we should care about him. And then he's going to tell us a little bit of a story from his work and his life. So here's that clip. Uh, Again, the guy we're meeting, Connor Moore. Connor is the founder of Seymour Sound, a sound design agency in Oakland, California. When he comes across those chip machines, Connor hears them as a designer and as a consumer. This happened one day when he visited a store in his neighborhood. Connor stopped in to pick up a bottle of wine, and as usual, he started chit-chatting with the owner. They're big Warriors fans, so I always uh, go in there and chat with them about the Warriors. I went to check out and I just noticed the, the card reader sound for some reason in that particular environment. It was that infamous it just really cut through you know, and I was like wow like that's crazy you hear that all day and he's like yeah man it's it's pretty annoying you know and but I take it you remember to get your card so would you consider that sound to be a success it is a very harsh sound right but at the end of the day all these sounds have to be effective in this instance yes it does get your attention but there's many other ways that we can go about doing that. Okay, Molly, I'll toss this to you. Anything that jumps out about this clip? Yeah, the first thing that I noticed about this clip was all of the detail that they added in, into it. There were certain things that kind of piqued my attention. I thought, is this important? Like he's going into his local wine shop to buy a bottle of wine and he chit chats with the owners because they're big fans of the Warriors. None of that ends up really mattering. It's just really good exposition that makes me feel intrigued and kind of keeps the pace going. And it reminded me of an episode of Three Clips that you did a little while ago, also produced by Gimlet. Uh, It's Gimlet's podcast called Startup. And the whole premise of the episode that you did was about how they're really good at taking kind of everyday events and making them seem really super eventful. And it's this kind of stuff. It's just this focus on detail and this extraction of details that other people who maybe aren't as adept at storytelling might omit. Um, But it really sets the scene and makes you feel more invested earlier on. Oh, that's such a good point. I hadn't even considered that in that moment. So that you're talking about like, Essentially, the fact that, you know, we're all surrounded by what seems like nothing all the time. 
But if we're paying attention, if we're open and sensitive, a lot of those things are rife with tension or sequences of events or details that enrich the story. So long as that's not where we live, I think. Maybe that's the punchline here. It's not like they just went really deep into them chatting about the warriors and buying wine. It, there were a couple details that when used in in sequence set you up to understand who Connor is and relate to him a little bit and just sort of advance the action of, of him experiencing the sound eventually. Yeah. And it kept my attention. Whereas, I mean, a shorter version of that story is he heard in real life, the annoying sound of a card reader saying, "Ah, ah, ah," you know, take your card out. But that, that, that's a short kind of uninteresting story. You can kind of skate right over that and move along. This made it a pivotal point, which is important for the rest of the episode. Right. So my point on this clip was actually that that annoying sound. Eh, eh, eh. So I think what happens here and they do it so brilliantly, it's so subtle and I'm like so reeled in because of it is they first align with us. So again, we did this at the very beginning during snap judgments. We did this in our first clip. It's the first moment that we played in our first clip of this entire episode. You're aligning with the listener from the jump. But throughout the episode, you have to kind of get them nodding, then get them going, wait a second, what? Tell me more. So, you know, in that episode I did about startup, I said at the very end of that episode, if I recall, I was like, the way to advance the action is to always threaten something or create tension or create unknowns. So this happened, but then this, which meant that, but then that, which meant this, but then this. And so you're doing that throughout the episode, not just at the beginning. And they do that brilliantly here where they first align with us because we're kind of all in agreement that maybe that eh, eh, eh noise is harsh. And they even acknowledge that in this episode between the host and the subject, Connor. And we maybe dislike it just like maybe they do, but we're kind of making an assumption that we know what's coming next. It's like, okay, yep, we're in agreement. That sound equals bad sound design. And we're sure of it. But then what they do is they threaten that. They poke at it. They provide some uncertainty because they're like, but, but even though it sucks to hear, isn't that actually an effective sound? And you're kind of left turning over the nuances of this issue that they're exploring, which, again, purchases more of your attention to keep going because you want a resolution to the uncertainty. So I just thought that was a subtle but brilliant moment that we can all try, which is when you explore things from multiple angles, one might be completely in line with your listener's view. The other might threaten that view or throw some uncertainty into it. And we should do that more often because that's what gets people gripped and they want to see how you pay it out later. Clearly, a lot more we could say here then. Let's go to the third clip. This is actually the ending of the episode. So we'll play that clip. And then we have a bunch of stuff here because it's not exactly something that we wanted them to say when they ended. So just I'll let you be the judge as a listener. Here's the third and final clip. The world of audio notifications reminds us that design is in a constant state of change. Design isn't even purely visual anymore. With the world of smart speakers and the vast array of audio notifications that have become a part of our lives, the total user experience now includes these sonic cues that we can't even see, and most of us barely notice. But just as with the visual world, the key to making audio work for us and to feel actually humane, that requires a design sensibility. It's a willingness to question why, to try new ideas, to examine carefully how real people respond to those ideas, and to repeat that cycle over and over until the solution is right. So whether or not you can see it or hear it, it's all design.
Oh, all right. So there's so many things they do well. And I keep coming back in a weird way to who the show is for and how we know it's Adobe's and Koi's by extension, how we know it's their show. It's the only. I kept waiting for that unique point of view, that unique identifier. And I kept getting some platitudes at the end, like you need design sensibility or it's all design. And it's sort of like, great. So what? Or great. Like, why do I care? Why do you care? How are we aligned? Like what, what's the representative thing you're saying to me that lets me know, okay, this is for some designers and not for all designers. And I think this is the curse of wanting scale is you try to be for everybody, but that leaves you with something that if you white label it, you can't tell it's them. And I think that's what the show suffers from. Again, it's great audio. It's interesting stuff. And because Adobe's providing it, you might be like, great, I like Adobe. But I think you'd be like, I really like Adobe if they put a point of view on this. If I got to know Koi a little bit more, like he's too removed, like anybody could be in his role reading what he's reading, but it's his show. I want the trust to flow, the relationship to flow. I want to get to know him a little bit more. It's Adobe's show. I want to get to know their point of view more. And I think we're so trained as content marketers to make content better than ads. Like don't talk about ourselves. It's all about the value. And I think sometimes we misinterpret it and go too far, meaning we remove any identifiers of of who we are as people, of acknowledging like, look, I work for Adobe and Adobe cares about this and I care about this. This can't be a competitor's show. It's ours. And so I, I'm left wondering how. So I, I know that maybe is a little bit harsh, but I think it's it's such a hard problem to solve. And I, I just want more of us in the workplace to think about that stuff and try and solve it. And I think the easy way to do it, especially with voice, especially with audio and podcasting, is to just let your personality shine, let your quirks out from where you're burying them as a host. Yeah. And I think that this ending contrasts so much with the really strong opening and the opening, you know, it created all kinds of intrigue. It evoked a number of emotions and Koi kind of jumped in and made the story personal by sharing his own experience with his particular app and the satisfying sound that he likes to hear from it. And then the ending just kind of felt rushed and it felt neatly packaged. And like you said, it felt like it kind of could have been for any show. It did not necessarily feel like it had to be for this specific show. And this was the only one. And that, that kind of seems like a missed opportunity. I mean, I just listened to that clip and I can't even really remember exactly what they said. I listened to it literally, you know, a a minute and a half ago. But I think that's a harbinger of something that's problematic where, you know, I, I know that that first clip was good. The first clip that we listened to, because I can remember kind of all of it. And I remember that feeling that I had when I was listening to it. And this just kind of, I remember the background track that was kind of, it felt like, you know, sending you on your way music. And that's all I can remember really from, from that last clip. And it's dangerous to make assumptions here. Like it's dangerous to know how much time Koi has to dedicate to this or whether or not he's able to improve in between episodes. Like it's dangerous to assume that, which is what I am assuming, that Gimlet Creative basically took the reins and ran with this the most most of the way, which maybe, you know, again, an assumption. I, I think maybe that's why this is like if an, an NPR station was going to run an episode to teach the general audience they reach about design, this is a great one to run. But I want to know, like, how is this bringing Adobe prospects, customers, fans, partners, et cetera, way into Adobe's corner instead of like a, huh, that was really enjoyable, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it just, it's the willingness to go really deep, 
bring out who you are. I just, ugh. Yeah, and it reminds me of another show that we de- deconstructed a little while ago, and that's Inside Trader Joe's, which you might argue is a little bit too self-referential, or it's not necessarily something that other marketers should try to replicate exactly because it they could end up sounding too self-referential. But the good thing about Inside Trader Joe's is that you always know that it's about Trader Joe's. You never for a second forget what company is bringing you this podcast, whether or not you have a good experience with it is a different story. But you know, for this podcast, if you're listening to it and you're a designer and you're learning a ton about design or you're just kind of an interested third party and you're learning a lot about sound design, you could easily forget that this was from Adobe. And then you could just, as you said, kind of go on your merry way. And I think that is overcorrecting. It's completely missing the important element here, which is that you want to create something that's your audience's favorite show so that you become their favorite brand. It's not just you want to create their favorite show full stop. I, man, yes, you want to, you want to be considered someone's favorite show. And by the way, I'm not saying that this show can't be considered someone's favorite show. What I am saying is I'm not feeling the competitive moat around it, nor the beacon to certain types of designers or types of customers that we're very for you, which by necessity means we're not for others. And I would describe this as a very high quality workmanlike story. Yeah. And I use that phrase workmanlike because I remember uh, an interview I saw with Anthony Bourdain before he passed where he was talking about how he detests workmanlike storytelling. He'd rather not be in TV at all, he said. He'd rather risk it all and fail than do something that was wholly competent or something like that. And I feel like this is a show that any competitor were they to say, I want to make a great show about product design, they they could make this show. There's not that like unique thrust where it's defensible. And, and we're going to talk about this later in our final score section, but we use the phrase brand IP all the time. Right. Could you write a book about it? Would someone put it on a T-shirt? Are you saying something original that could become the keynote or whatever? Where I want to see the brand IP come through fully. The easiest way to do that, unleash the talent, unleash the person. Um, but there's other ways to do that in terms of the angle you take and what you talk about. So we could beat this to death. <laughs> I don't want to be in the business of tearing things down. But I do feel like if given the opportunity, all of us as marketers need to think hard of if we white labeled this show, how would they know it was us? That's Plain and simple, the question we have to ask more often. So that's cathartic. I, I got to shake it off. I got to feel, because let's, let's celebrate for a moment. This is a great show. It's miles ahead of most companies' shows. But Molly, here's a paradox. The moment we exceed somebody's expectations with our show, we've changed their expectations. In other words, the very act of doing something they like makes it harder to consistently do something they like. So now we got to do something new and different each time out. So what do we do as marketers? Well, we sprint around looking to manufacture one-off spikes in the numbers and all in a panic. And I call those random acts of creativity, by the way. But a show can't be random. It has to be consistent. And a show forces us to embrace creativity as it really should be the process of consistent reinvention, not through one-off stunts, but through small, refreshing changes all the time. And I call those wrinkles. So... If stagnation is the enemy and wrinkles are how we fight it, let's talk now in this next section about how some of those small but refreshing changes that today's featured podcast could make, things that we'll suggest, might transform it to be an even better show to consistently exceed audience expectations. So we've both come up with a wrinkle that we think Adobe can try and Gimlet Creative can try. Molly, you go first. 
Sure. So I'd be curious about infusing a wrinkle that tries a different guest host to see what the impact would be. So a post that you wrote for MSR a couple months ago is one I keep going back to for multiple different things. And it's called the season two problem, how to reinvent your brand show to grow audience. And that post is all about how to add small wrinkles like this to change up the show and keep it exciting. And one thing you suggest is changing up the people, um, whether that means the inter- the guests that you interview or the hosts or the people on the back end. And I think that could be an interesting idea that Wireframe could try. Because I like the show a lot, but at times, as we've discussed a little bit throughout this episode, I did find Coy's manner of speaking to be somewhat stilted and it made the show feel overly scripted, which was just a disappointment because the narrative was so good. So I'm not suggesting replacing him as a host, but I do think that it might help to inject some freshness and some pizzazz into the show by introducing a different voice or voices from time to time. Ooh, I I really like that. And I do think that's something we underuse is the cavalcade of voices at our disposal to either be a co-host or a recurring cast of characters. You know, I think of theringer.com, which is a sports and pop culture website that I love, and their CEO and founder, Bill Simmons. And he's got the Bill Simmons podcast. And yes, he interviews different people. And yes, he's where the trust flows because it's he's the host, it's his show. But he also has this recurring cast of characters. So whether or not it's Koi giving the mic to someone else who hosts, or you just bring back recurring guests, I think that can go a long way to refreshing the show. I love that wrinkle. Okay, so mine, it was similar. It was host-related. And I think it would give Koi a chance to sort of like let down his hair and just kind of be, which is a behind-the-scenes episode with him. And I feel like this is this is how we also get to know him far better and know who he is. You know, it could be a single episode answering a bunch of questions about the show, a tour through his day where somebody else is kind of the pseudo-host, or... My favorite is actually when you try to work through problems. So like one quick example comes from my show, Unthinkable, which is a podcast that sort of like launched the whole thing that you're hearing right now. So my mentor and friend, Andrew Davis, gave me a call and we talked about the future of that show. And I just, I decided to record it. I was feeling burnt out. I didn't know I wanted to publish an episode. I didn't have anything. I was like, I'll do a behind the scenes episode with my call with Andrew and I was blown away. People lost their minds. They were so excited about this. And they, they I got more emails and comments and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so I saw this through another lens where I played the Andrew role for another friend of mine, Ryan Hawk, who hosts this awesome show called The Learning Leader Show. It's a huge podcast. And he did a top 10 like retrospective. Like here were the top 10 episodes of 2019. And I just want to read you some of the episodes that made his top 10 from last year. So AJ Hawk, who is actually Ryan's brother, he's a former NFL linebacker who won a Super Bowl with the Packers. So like Molly, makes sense that if you interview AJ Hawk, that'll be a top 10 episode for you, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. David Epstein, who's an author last year of the book Range, which was everywhere, super popular nonfiction book. That makes sense. Carly Fiorina, former CEO of HP and presidential candidate. John Calipari, who is a Hall of Fame college basketball coach and coaches Kentucky. Ryan Holiday, who is a very successful best-selling author and one of those like serial names you recognize on the internet. Jason Fried, the CEO of Basecamp, huge influencer in tech. And then somewhere in this list was an episode going behind the scenes of Ryan's show, where all I did was appear as a the pseudo host and I asked him a bunch of questions and he talked about his process. And like that doesn't add up to me. Until you understand what podcasts are for, they're for resonance. They're for building towards this idea of trust on the foundation of real relationships with the host. 
you have to get to know the host, right? So yes, a show can create this feeling of intimacy at scale, but you have to let people in. And it all rotates around the people on the show. It could be the host, it could be the co-host, it could be a recurring cast of characters, but listeners want to go deep with that. And so, you know, I don't have the exact answer here for everybody. All I know is it doesn't take much more to let people in a little bit more to who you are, to why you do this, to where you're struggling, what's going well, you can teach. And that builds a real relationship with those on the receiving end. And I think doing that is what I mean when I keep saying publicly that MSR and shows, because that's where we trade, you know, this craft is about sharing your voice, making a difference and shifting the culture. And in beautiful fashion, that all starts with a a person to person relationship. I love that. I think that makes so much sense. And we forget that a lot in marketing, that it's about people. All the time. We're really, first of all, we're, Koi, we love you. You did such a good job. You're way ahead of the game. Like this is, to me, is like we're so close to an amazing show here. So I want to make that clear. Second of all, we're all trying to get better at this. And third, like this is super cathartic, I think. I hope you're feeling that way as a listener. I hope you're feeling that way, Molly. I do. Okay, cool. So we should we should probably get to our final score section. Yes, I think we should. That's what it's time for. We need to decide is this show defensible? Is it unique? Did they create brand IP, something people would stick with, not just try and leave? We use a very complicated system of no real system here at MSR. (laughs) No real real system at all. That's exactly. It's very complicated. Don't ask too many questions about it. Plus an unhealthy amount of time spent reviewing marketers podcasts. So (laughs) what I'm saying is we're very qualified to make this final score. So now it's time to decide once and for all where the show fits in the pantheon of popular podcasts, the shrine of shining shows, and most importantly, the cathedral of content customers crave. You go first, Jay. What is your final score? Okay. My final score, oh, I, I I like wrote and rewrote and rewrote this score. I'm going to go with a 7.2. It, let me let me rationalize for a second. 7.2. There's three pillars to a good show, to any show. The three most foundational things to think through strategically. There's the concept, the format, and the talent. And I think uh, Adobe Wireframe has a has a decent concept, right? Certainly one that people would like to go on a journey to understand more if you're in the audience for Adobe. I know I, I would question whether design curious, that third category of people, like they said, UX and U, UI designers, so product designers, or graphic designers, or the design curious. Now we're trying to water it down and, and appeal to too many people, perhaps. But again, such as the burden of a large company, perhaps, and too many cooks or what have you. I, I kind of get where that comes from. I wish it wasn't the case. I get it. Not an excuse, but that's what we have to deal with. That's the concept. The format, beautiful. I love it. They pick an angle every episode. They have a, a, a gorgeous way of producing this because it's Gimlet. And then we keep coming back to talent. And I don't mean you're wildly charming and you're everyone's favorite host. I do mean you have that thing that you're good at uniquely, that if someone else were to take up the mantle, you'd notice a difference. And I think Koi is super close to that. It's just about how you come at the personality quirks, the opinions, right? It's like you're trying to be a columnist not just a reporter. And you can start as a reporter, but you want to evolve into a columnist. So the 7.2 is we nailed so much of those three things. The last thing, and and I think Koi is aspiring to it, that's the point two, is tipping from reporter to a columnist as a host. So 7.2. It's so funny that in our highly scientific and intricate system that we would get the exact same score down to the decimal point. (laughs) You said 7.22? I did. I said 7.22. Was that 7.2 also or 7.22? Oh my God, such a such an important distinction, but it was 7.2 also. Okay. We had the exact same score. 
And for really similar reasons, because I think that overall, this is a good show. I mean, it's a really good show. It has a really interesting narrative style. It's It tells a story that really does envelop the listener and it makes you want to get to the end of the episode, which is, as you have said multiple times, it's really the golden rule of podcasting. You just want to get your listeners to the end. But I cannot kind of shake that idea that the brand IP element really isn't there. It doesn't feel like Adobe's podcast. It feels like an interesting podcast about design that kind of anyone who is interested in design and a, a good researcher and who is connected to different people to speak to and different experts, they could put this together. And so I want to see an element, whether it's from the host or whether it's from some of the scripting that goes into producing this show, I want to see elements of Adobe here. And I want to understand why this is something that only Adobe can create. And I don't see that right now. So that's why I've deducted you know, 2.8 points. You know, the final thing I would mention here is we mentioned in the intro to this section, the phrase brand IP. And that is the thing that you can pluck out of a show and put anywhere. You could become an event series, whether it's about the show and you record live episodes with an audience or it's about generally the topic. It can become merchandise. It can become ebooks, newsletters. Did they create brand IP? So that's the question we need to ask ourselves. And I think the, the higher level, more human, less jargony sounding question is right back to the top of our show. Let's end here. Whose show is this? And better said, how can we tell it's your show? All right. So I want to say thank you for you to listening. Molly, for joining me on this episode. Thank you to our sponsors, Casted and Contently. Both are platforms for marketers, but more importantly, both are groups of people who we align with. They believe what we do about this marketing stuff, which is that marketing is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. And so if you're in B2B and you might want some tools for your podcast, check out Casted. That's casted.us. And if you're at an enterprise brand, check out Contently, which I love because they bring three things you need under one roof. As an enterprise marketer, you need smart content strategy advice, a platform to streamline your work, and then great storytellers that you can work with to bring it all to life. So that's contently.com. And a final reminder to subscribe to our newsletter, MSR Monthly, where once a month, you're going to get a brand new insight about running shows found nowhere else, plus a roundup of our best stuff from that month. You can subscribe at marketingshowrunners.com or check your show notes for a link. I'm Jay Akunzo. And I'm Molly Donovan. And we believe great marketing isn't about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with us. And we'll talk to you this coming Monday on the next episode of Three Clips. See ya. This week's recommended read from the Marketing Showrunners blog is an article titled, There's No Magic Bullet in Marketing. As marketers, it's so easy to want to find magic bullets that can help us achieve our goals more quickly. But there's really no magic bullet, and all the tips and tricks and best practices you find won't help you if you don't have good content to begin with. So read this piece to explore why and how marketers should focus on creating quality content first and foremost. That's There's No Magic Bullet in Marketing. Click the link at the end of your show notes or search the blog at marketingshowrunners.com.